Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, this is a sad episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast because uh, with yet another coaching position available, it's becoming more and more inevitable that someone's going to hire Evan out and it's going to be just Brad and I. So, uh, Evan, are you gunning for this job in Washington? If I can get across the border, yes. Well, actually, <laughs> I don't even need to right now. Yeah, coach from home? Future Evan would work, worry about that. Yeah. Uh, well, the coaching carousel continues. Um, and so if you do get made an offer, just let Brad and I know and we'll try to, to compete with that Ted Leones' money. I don't know, Brad, how much do you have in your pockets? I have debt. Yeah, well, grow up. So do we all. Welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast. All three of us live. My name is Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad. And I'm Evan. Um, someone pointed out to me that on like Apple Podcasts, they have a section in there where it says like, oh, these are the hosts of the show. And it has pictures. And I was like, really? And when we migrated hosts, we had the ability to like name the host. So I put our three names in, obviously. But Apple only released that functionality apparently on a limited basis. They're like, yeah, only like um, some of the top podcasts, like English speaking podcasts, we're rolling this out too slowly before expanding it later on. But they never told us they did it. <laughs> so um, our good friend Anthony was pointed out to us and was like, hey, it would help a lot for people who mix up your voices to do it. And uh, thanks a lot, Apple. You didn't tell us. Anyways, we're going to try and update that for you guys so you can see just how ugly we are. Uh, we'll, we'll use Evan's real picture, but Brad and I will use um, pictures of whoever we, we want. I'll probably do Oscar Isaac. And I'm, Brad, I was thinking for you, Matt Damon. I'm I'm absolutely okay with that. All right. Some hockey stuff happened. So on this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, of course, we're going to be talking about the playoffs. We'll take a look back into the uh, first round, which just concluded. It is incredible, the clip at which this thing is moving. Um, and then uh, we'll be looking forward to the second round. Um, obviously, it's already started um, with Dallas and Colorado playing last night. Um, talk about some stuff that's been happening around the world of hockey. Do a, uh, a fun prospect profile. Evan's going to be a really big fan of this one before heading into overtime um all right the first round is done uh, i would like to say that even though i went a miserable two for eight in the uh play-in qualifiers with my predictions i did go six for eight in the first round and i nailed the amount of games in three of those so i feel like i'm redeemed there i'm i'm a little shocked washington didn't make the comeback and and ruined that pick for me but you can't can't win them all i can't even remember who i picked I know I usually have to write them down, but I didn't do it for that episode. So we'll have to go back and listen to, to remember what you guys picked. Uh, anyways, not too many upsets in, in that though. Like Vegas over Chicago. Yeah. Colorado thumped Arizona. Yeah. Dallas and Calgary was a tight series. Um, Dallas was down. Was it three, nothing in game six? Mm-hmm. Yep. And one by four. <laughs> Who scores seven unanswered goals? Dallas. That, that is the most Calgary situation that I can think of. Like a team that's just been like mired with dysfunction and just letting things go, even though they have all the tools to keep it up. Uh, and my, then let in seven unanswered. Uh, speaking of dysfunctional, the NHL is trying to get parity in the NHL, and five of the eight series went five games, and none of them went to seven. 
I think that's just a little bit. Well, so we'll make it better. We'll give the playoff teams first overall, and then those series will be closer. Exactly. Absolutely right. Can't wait to see the New York Rangers losing seven in the first round next year. I think it was just like a little bit of an anomaly that this many went five games. And I think it's also a byproduct of um, the playing round, right? Like we're going to get wacky results no matter what after a, a playing round in which you naturally had non-playoff versus playoff teams. I don't know. The funny thing is of the series, the three series that went deeper than five games, the lowest seed in the entire play-in round was one of them. Yeah, nothing makes sense right now. Like, Not n- a damn thing. No. Vancouver, like, okay, Vancouver over St. Louis isn't that big of an upset. Like, like, I just want to put that out there. Vancouver was riding some kind of wave, and obviously with the amount of star power that they have, you have to think it just takes them firing on all cylinders, which is essentially what they did. St. Louis wasn't playing their best hockey, and they took that in six games, so... I personally had St. Louis, I think, moving on to, yeah, the next round. But it's not really crazy to have Vancouver win it. Um, honestly, Vancouver's fun to watch right now, too. Oh, they're fun to watch. But do you know who is the the real most valuable player for Vancouver in that series, though? Who? Jordan Bennington. Yeah. Yeah, he sucked. Yikes. Yeah. Not uh, it, good. It's almost like if you base your entire opinion off a goalie over half a season, it might not be a lock. He's being projected in a lot of things as like a Team Canada uh, for the next Olympics. And man, I, I wasn't a Bennington detractor by any means, but I also wasn't ready to anoint the guy. And oh my God, he was there's there's bad. And then there's literally your team is out because you suck bad and that is where he was at not that st louis was playing amazing but they were they were playing better than getting ousted in six games and and here yeah. we are we have uh oh man this this whole off that actually on that note this whole off season this goalie carousel factored in with the shortened off season because of covid is going to be chaos absolute chaos how many teams will have a new starting goalie next year yeah probably it's gonna a, be wild probably a bunch how many teams are gonna have a new backup goalie next year probably over half the league how many of those backups are guys that used to be starters it will probably be a lot i mean everybody who's clamoring for detroit to get out a, a big name goalie they can literally sit there and wait for every other team to get a guy and they'll probably still be sitting there with four or five decent options yeah what it's such a bizarre year for goaltending like i'm thinking of the mark andre Fleury situation and we will get to that in a couple <laughs> minutes here but yeah okay bennington last year bennington last year was the, the hot topic he had a few like huge games right and that was really the, the title of his entire storyline that that playoff that postseason run uh you looked at his overall numbers and he was good i think he was good not great like he wasn't absolutely stupendous every single game like he he was decidedly average at times but at no time was he any worse than sufficient and i think we talked about this last offseason when they were talking about signing jordan bennington we said like sign him yeah for sure he looks like he's able and that's better than what st louis has been able to say in some time but don't base your entire projection of him off one hot streak in the playoffs you guys remember when Jonathan Erickson came into the league? He was like much like Darren Helm when he came in. He essentially like it was mostly a playoffs. That was really his debut. 
Um, I'd rather he not. Looked, he looked stellar. He was playing with Nicholas Lidstrom. <laughs> that would do it. But he, but he looked great. And it's not to say anyone will always be bad and Jordan Bennington is bad from here on out. No, of course, goalies are wacky, but you really cannot. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wasn't completely shocked. I think anybody with half an ounce of reason could have said that Bennington wouldn't be able to carry this team the way people expected him to after the last playoffs year in and year out. And if you had said that e- two months ago, you'd have been labeled a heretic. It's pretty easy to, um, I hate to say it, but enjoy the the crash and burn of Jordan Bennington, especially oh, with yeah. all the, the sound bites he has. He I should have won the called over Pedersen. Yeah. Um, Do I look nervous? No, you look like you're relaxed because you don't have any more hockey to play. Yeah, so <laughs> a lot include- of the comments online have been uh, in favor of this uh, this collapse. For, well, for Jordan it, Bennington. And it's crazy to think now because we're less than a month removed from talking about Jake Allen being a prime candidate for Detroit to take on a salary dump. Ah, if you're St. Louis, can you do that now? Do you move Jake Allen? He had a solid playoff. I mean, they want to keep Petrangelo, and if they keep both goalies, there's a 0% chance that's going to happen unless they move, like, a marquee player. Oh, boy, are they going to have a decision to make? I think they move Jake Allen no matter what. I think they're they're too far into the whole Bennington basket, and I don't even think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, you can be worse off than having Bennington as your starting goalie. Um. Evan, are the uh, summer allergies bad right now? Yes, and it was just before this podcast started. (laughs) No, you can do worse than than having Bennington as your starting goalie, and I think they have bigger things to worry about right now than trying to uh, make a better goalie than they have out of those two. And like you said, they want to keep Petrangelo. I still think Jake Allen is... They have bigger things to worry about? Uh, I will disagree with that strongly. Goaltending, yeah, obviously the Petrangelo situation is very relevant and it's a big thing, but they're still a great team without Petrangelo. Not as great, but they're still good. Their defense isn't thin. Um, Their goaltending was their undoing this year, so I don't know if they have a bigger decision to make. Jordan Bennington's going into year two of a two-year contract that leads into unrestricted free agency. Jake Allen's got two or three years left at a pretty reasonable cap hit. He, he's a very hot and cold goalie, but apparently so is Bennington. Man, the the pragmatic view here is keep Allen, keep your cost, cost certainty. And, and honestly, you probably get a higher return on Bennington, but uh, from an optic standpoint, I think the fan base would lose their collective shit if you did that but you can never make a decision based on what the fan base would think yeah that being said if they don't bring back petrangelo then they can ride two goalies but i don't think they're wanting to do that yeah so they have almost nine million dollars locked up between jake allen and bidding and bennington um and i was surprised to see bennington's only three years younger than jake allen who's current who's 30 so 30 yeah, it feels like when Jake Allen's happen? 38. Feels like Jake Allen's been around forever. Um, Bennington's still, he's only a few years younger, right? You said? 27? Yeah, he's 27. Yeah. Look, I don't. I think I don't they think explore Bennington's both gonna... options, moving either or. Yeah. Yeah, I Why can not? see that. 
but look at look what Brad said though. The narrative is still that Bennington is is the goalie of the future for them. And if he's twenty seven, goalies get leeway until like what thirty four before really people really start to talk about them not being as useful in net. You kind of have to go for a guy who hasn't been shelled publicly like Jake Allen has, who hasn't had as many public failures or letdowns in terms of play on the ice as Jake Allen had. So whether or not you believe in in, in Allen over Bennington. I, I, they'll for sure explore the option in case someone is willing to pay for Bennington. Cause right now, <laughs> doesn't matter how well they played. I think in a perfect world where there's buyers for goalies, someone would pay for Bennington. But even though he makes just about just the same amount, Jake Allen, they would have to pay to get rid of Jake Allen. You know what I mean? Like it's not really team. It's kind of all wacky. Teams that are looking for a goalie are not going to have to trade for a goalie this offseason. There are going to be more than enough options. uh, There's almost never enough buyers in the goalie market. And you could probably get some pretty decent cheap options there. Like uh, Dallas is riding Kudobin through the playoffs right now. Even though he's a backup, he's doing a great job. And he's been really good for a couple of years now in his, albeit limited, games in the regular season. He's a UFA. Thomas Grice is a UFA. The Canucks haven't re-signed Yaka Markstrom yet. Um, Robin Leonard's a UFA. I think Corey Crawford's a UFA. It's- the amount of UAF- UFA goalies, I pulled that up before uh, while we were talking. Braden Holtby, Corey Crawford, Robin Lehner, Craig Anderson, Jimmy Howard, Matt Murray, Jacob Markstrom, Thomas Grice, Cam Talbot, Kadobin, yeah. uh, Mike Smith, Aaron Dell, Keith Kincaid, uh, Laurent Br- Brossois, Louis Domingue, Ryan Miller. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Malcolm Subban. Uh, there's so many goalies available. So. Detroit's not going to have a problem. Like if they want to move on from Jimmy Howard, fine. They're not going to have a problem signing their Bernier 2.0. Make Bernier your starter and that's it. The The amount of stuff there. Like I would still, I think having Jake Allen getting something in return for taking on the Jake Allen contract is the most preferable because I want Detroit to do that whenever possible. But yeah, look, listen to all those guys that Evan rattled off and think about how bad the current Red Wings are. And, and I'm sorry if you don't like hearing it, but like, let's be real. You don't need a stellar goalie. You have so many options there. Laner would be like the top end of them. Like they probably won't even go for Laner because he'll be too expensive. They'll probably get like a Cam Talbot or something. I don't know. They don't need much. And of the like premium goalies, like the legit starting caliber goalies that are going on the market, those every one of them but one. So the team that they're leaving already has their heir apparent in place. Obviously, Vancouver wants to keep Markstrom, but if they can't, Thatcher Demko's there ready to go. Holpe leaves Washington. Ilya Samsonov is there. Um, Leonard leaves Vegas. They still have Mark Andre Fleury. Matt Murray leaves Pittsburgh. They have Tristan Jari. Chicago's the only one where if they lose Crawford, they don't really have the guy ready to go behind them. So that's what makes this market even. Yeah, right. But that's what makes this market truly crazy. It's that the teams that are losing the big name goalies might not be the teams in the market for a goalie. Like, that's what's going to make this. So the market's going to get flooded. Now, mind you, there are teams that probably are going to look long and hard at getting a, a starting goalie because they have problems looking gestures at the entire province of Alberta. Um, but it's it's going to be chaos. Like, you can argue right now, the Red Wings don't need a starting goalie after the year Bernier had. They need a backup because they literally don't have an option right now. But 
like again, if I'm Detroit, I'm not looking at the UFA market. I'm trying to find that team that's in salary cap hell and weaseling a goalie out of them. Like if St. Louis, if nobody is even contemplating a trade and St. Louis wants to keep Petrangelo, despite how good Jake Allen was in the playoffs, you're still probably giving up a third or a fourth round pick to get rid of that contract. And if I'm Detroit, honestly, assets aside, Jake Allen might be the best option because he's one of the youngest of the group. Mm-hmm. And he's going to come in at a very reasonable cap hit for a pretty decent goalie. You combine him and Bernie and they're what, just north of $7 million? That's perfectly acceptable for a goaltending tandem. And you have two hot and cold goalies and Bernie and Allen. Okay. Well, if they're hot and cold, you only need one of them to be hot at a time. So it, it I'm not saying it's an ideal tandem, but coming out of a rebuild, more than acceptable. What I want from Detroit, if it's not like, you know, let's say pie in the sky, Markstrom or Demko and, and some kind of bigger trade from Vancouver or, um, who else am I thinking? If, like, say they don't sign Laner, I'd rather have them um, sign someone for like a million, like a million five for a year, unless it's like Allen coming over and they're getting a good asset, like a, a decent, you know, sweetener to to take on the contract because that's still four and a half million dollars or whatever Jake Allen makes. Um, I'd rather have just have them sign someone for a million because, like we saw, Jonathan Bernie is more than able to to do what he needs to do to just get through the season with this team. Well, the, the Red Wings don't really want jake allen they they want what's coming with jake allen yeah they want the sidecar well jake allen will be useful though it's not like jake allen's a dead asset coming over he's like bernier is not a 60 game starter if if jake allen comes over that's going to be a 50 30 split um but even if they don't want to go that route even if st louis doesn't want to go that route or any of the other teams in cap hell don't want to go that go that route Detroit could probably get a pretty good option. Like I said, if every team that needs a goalie signs someone and then there's literally probably going to be three or four very good options still sitting there that are going to be desperate for a contract, forget getting long-term and big money. If the dust settles and and Anton Kudobin is still sitting there and he's looking around the NHL going, I have no opportunities unless I want to back up a superstar. He might look at Detroit and go three by three. Sure. Why not? Uh, I don't know if I'd give Anton Kudobin three by three. He's not young, right? He's not young, but the Detroit Red Wings don't have a goalie past next season. And that's not even hyperbole. They don't have a goalie. And at least with Kudobin, you have a a really good idea of what he is as a goalie. So if he's nothing other than a stopgap, fine. So speaking of, actually, you guys want to know what's going to end up happening for Detroit? They're going to bring back Howard. Probably, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All this, all the fun possibilities, and they'll keep keep Jimmy. While we're we were talking about you know cap hell situations, um, I found I came across something a little bit interesting. Um, so Toronto spends fifty seven in change on fifty seven million on forwards. The next highest team on forwards is actually the Nashville Predators, and I was kind of I don't know if I why I was surprised by that. They have I know 54. why we're surprised by that. <laughs> They have $54 million lined up with their forwards. Jesus. With Pittsburgh just slightly behind. But yeah, Toronto is well ahead of everybody else. And again, teams are going to have not only this $81.5 million cap, their owners are going to say, hey, uh, I just bled money for nine months. Please, we can't even spend $81.5 million for the next two years. 
they're going to say cap it at 80, cap it at 78.5, something like that. Detroit, I've said it before, we'll continue to say it again. Steve Eisman's biggest opportunity right now has not been through any of the drafts. It has been through his opportunity now to squeeze teams that are in cap hell. It is hard to do it, and it's notable when it happens. Like We are still talking about Toronto giving up a first to get rid of Marlowe, but it happens. And that's what Eisenman is going to try to do. And he's said before, like, this is what he cares about. Like, he cares a lot about this. Obviously, he was pissed off about the draft lottery, but this is within his control. So, yeah, the goalies are one, just one, like, insight into that. But like Evan mentioned, there's teams that are in cap hell. Speaking of goalies, pop quiz, which team spends the most on their goalies? Uh, oh. Hold on. I know this is going to be a trick question. There's three of- options. Hold on. Montreal. I'm going to say Montreal or Florida immediately came to mind just because of how much Price and Bobrovsky are making. It's Montreal. Montreal is 11.25 and Florida is 10.85. But Rangers are just on the heels at 10.2. So that means Florida's backup goalie makes leave <laughs> five <more>. bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's working yeah, part time no. down at uh, the Shake Shack. Um, yeah. No, I, I was going to say uh, the Howard thing and then I was trailing off right uh, the other goalie controversy right now is is going on with Marc Andre Fleury, and this isn't a new thing. Like we'll we'll talk about the Aaron Walsh tweet in in just a second here, but for a little while now, people have been kind of appalled. Not Vegas fans, Vegas fans who like are watching the team understand that Robin Lehner was obviously going to be the guy because he's playing significantly better. But people have been like appalled at the fact that Marc Andre Fleury isn't starting or playing as much as might be expected. And it's like, it's not even just like casual fans. It's been like reporters. It's been like talking heads and everyone's like, how could Vegas do this to Mark andre Fleury? Like after what he did for the team, I'm like, guys, what did he do? Not- he's an employee. He put up a 905 this season. Like he's just not playing better. What is put the, up, what put is up the a biggest five mis- between behind one of the best teams in the league? Yeah. And like that defense isn't a, a joke. Like, that's a great team. You have Mark Stone as one of your best players, and he's a great defensive forward. Like he's, it's an easy to do. It's, I'm sorry, not easy, but if you're an elite goalie, you should be having a better season than 905. And look, Mark Andre Fleury is no spring chicken. Like he's had a wonderful Hall of Fame career for sure. But how could you be shocked about that? I just didn't understand people's shock. Like he's just not playing well. It was kind of like what is- the Pekka Rene situation where people were shocked. I mean, he did have that streak of games played, but everyone was shocked that they went with Saros, who I thought had been, you know, the better of the two goalies. It's like people have this weird fascination with you know, always stick with the guy who's been between the the pipes for longer. And yeah, as if as if that if I was a, a Knights fan, I'd be like, I would just want who's ever hot right now play the hot goalie play the guy who's playing better i want to win hot flurry's won a cup behind a hot goalie that usurped him at the playoffs before like <laughs> that's yeah. what happened with him and matt murray it's been a long time since mark andre Fleury was a consistently top end goalie last time he put together back-to-back 920 plus seasons was actually looking at this was 14 15 and 15 16 and those are and he's only put up nine, north of a 923 times since 08. But so, he did get Mike Babcock fired. That is. And we will, we are That's eternally not grateful in the stats, for that. But it needs for to be. Now. For, for now. For now. For now. Yeah, we'll get into that. 
But look, I mean, yeah. Robin Leonard has been arguably the best goalie on the planet for the last two years. He put up a 930 in the island last year, and then he put up a 918 in Chicago this year, playing behind a bottom five defense in the NHL. There, there is no argument here. There is almost none. You don't have a leg to stand on other than, say, Marc-Andre Fleury was the first face of the franchise for Vegas. That was three years ago. Like, it's yeah. not like he's been here for 12 years and it's Ray Bork seeing his path to the cup. It's th- this guy has aged poorly and it's not his fault. He's what, 35, 36 years old? Of I don't even course. Think he's aged poorly. And he's I played he's so aged. many playoff games. He's been on yeah. Olympic teams. He's been on world junior teams. Like, the guy's played an unbelievable amount of hockey. And also, what do we know? We we know two things. First, goalies are going to be streaky, even the best of them. Carey Price was – people were mocking others for saying Carey Price could be a game-breaker before the Pittsburgh series. Meanwhile, Carey Price, in terms of raw talent, is probably the most talented goalie on the planet. That's how streaky goalies are. Two, what is the easiest way a coach can ruin his team's playoff run? By being stubborn and playing a goalie who just isn't playing well at that moment. And that's – it's so stupid to hang on to that because it's fine that they're not playing well. It doesn't mean you have to give up on them for the rest of their career, but literally you have what, like 16 to 30, whatever, 16 to, to however many games um, that you need to play to win the Stanley Cup. Are you really not going to just like bite the bullet and play the hot hand at the time when every win counts? This isn't game 50 in the regular season. Yeah, I just... I think people were looking for a narrative with, with the whole flurry thing. And then it, it all got... Amplified to the moon when his uh, agent Alan Walsh, who like anyone who's on Twitter, um, or who pays attention to the hockey, um, you know, social sphere, knows Alan Walsh, and he posted a, a beautifully photoshopped picture of uh, Mark Andre Fleury with a presumably Golden Knight sword stabbed through his back and coming out the front with blood on it. That said, DeBoer on the uh, yeah the, the hilt the... or something. Yeah, listen, Look, it, I, it was I, metal as hell. It was dope. <laughs> and Alan Walsh always says, we'll call him, I I don't I don't even know what the right word is, inflammatory things on Twitter. Quite often, he just- Unpro- I believe the word is unprofessional. Huh. Yeah. Not the type of guy I would want representing me, but he's got a big, a decent client base, so whatever. Look, I think but- the guy gets good deals for his clients i'll say that oh yeah he can be an expert negotiator he is also a crazy person apparently because why would you post that in the middle of a playoff run where your client is trying to win a stanley cup i don't care if you agree what the team's doing you are actively hurting your client's chances and i'm calling flurry a client here because that's what he is and i want to underscore that you are hurting your client's chances of what he is trying to do whether or not he's a main piece in that or a background piece he probably would rather be the backup of a stanley cup champion than the starter on a team that got bounced in the first round and you can say oh i'm just sticking up for my client great there is no way that the vegas brass saw this and weren't furious when it happened. There is no way the Vegas coaching staff saw this and wasn't furious the way it happened. His teammates were probably pissed because they're like, oh, great. Now we're going to have to answer these questions. 
Alan Walsh did nothing good for his client here. If you wanted Flurry to start, what better way than to get him some games than to piss off the guy who makes that decision? It is just moronic from a business standpoint, from a professionalism standpoint. Hell, if Marc-Andre Fleury is your friend, if you consider him a friend, as a friend, it's a dick move. Do you know that Marc-Andre Fleury didn't want that to happen at first? The tweet was that has since been deleted as well. Yeah. Yeah, because but- Fleury probably saw it and went, what the hell? Fleury said he talked to him and it's been deleted, but it took some time. And so definitely Fleury didn't go, what the hell? I th- here, This is unless, purely conjecture unless, for me. Unless he was living in a bubble. They have he turned off the Wi-Fi as soon as it happened. <laughs> Here's what I think. I think Flurry's been displeased. And I think you can kind of glean that from the fact that this narrative has been carrying on for so long. Because why would people care this much? Like, it's not a brand new storyline. I think he's been displeased and he's probably been pretty, like, ticked about it. He's probably talked to Walsh about it. Oh, I just don't see – I think, yeah, for sure Walsh is inflammatory. I don't think he tweets that without Flurry, you know, in his ear about how pissed off he is and how upset he is and how could the team do this. And also, look, the team canceled all of their media availability and sent out Flurry alone. They said, hey, <laughs> you fucked this up. Go fix it. They put him out on there. They put him out there alone. I don't think Flurry's completely – I don't think he was like – this couldn't have been out of left field for him. And that tweet did not come down fast. It did not come down fast. So he did ask him to take it down cross. eventually. Yeah. Well, there, There's a difference, though, between Flurry being in his ear about being unhappy. Of course, he wants to be the starter. He's not the starter. I'd be more concerned if he wasn't pissed off about it. But there is a hell of a leap from saying, uh, talking to the gym saying, hey, uh, Mark Andre's pissed. Then absolutely flaming his coach for the entire world to see. That is like saying... I think I need to get the brakes done on the car. So you torch it. Um, like, well, it's a if, big reach there. If Marc-Andre Fleury ever does play another game for uh, the Golden Knights, he better have one hell of a performance to make yep. people forget because I would hate for that to be uh, his tarnishing moment for this team. Like, if I was the GM, if I was McCrimmon, and that tweet got sent out, I'd call Fleur in the office and go, so I hear you're unhappy about not playing. To which I'm sure Mark andre Fleur would say, yeah, of course I am. I would literally just have a printout of his stats from this season, and I would just slide it across the table and ask, and then be like, okay, anything else? Like, what's what's the rebuttal there? Oh, yeah, I've been here for longer. Oh, great. Well, he's playing better. All right. Um, looking around at the rest of the series going on. So we have Vegas and Vancouver. Um, Colorado against Dallas, and Dallas has already taken game one, kind of shockingly. Uh, Tampa and Boston, and then Philly and the Islanders. So let's uh, let's make our picks. I'm going to continue with just like what my bracket was, but we, we, you can feel free to adjust it. Um, and then we'll say in how many games as well. So I have Vegas over Vancouver. Um, I'll take that to, to six games. And I also have Colorado over Dallas in six games. Um, I have Philly over the Islanders in seven, and I have Tampa over Boston in five. Well, who was it that uh, Washington effed up my whole bracket? So my Eastern Conference final is currently playing each other. Um, so I'll go 
Tampa in seven. I'll go Philly in six. I'll go Colorado in seven. And I will go Vegas in six. Um, yeah, I was trying to remember who I picked previously as to not, uh, you know, have some recency bias or some revisionist history. Um, I had, I think I had Vegas and Philly in the finals and I only feel good about half of that, but I'll take Vegas in six. I'll take Colorado in six. Um, I think I had Tampa over Boston, which is not looking good right now because they're down to nothing Oops. Uh, in the f- <laughs> in game one. Yeah, I'll take Tampa, I guess, in seven um, and e- probably the most boring series. I think the Philly Islanders series, I'll t- I got to take Philly because I think I had them in the finals. I'll say them in seven, even though I think I like the Islanders better now. The Barry Trotz coach Islanders. Barry Trotz obviously leaving for the island after winning a Stanley Cup with Washington and then not getting brought back. Uh, the issue was not only money, but also term. Barry Trotz and his agent wanted five years for big money. Washington was okay about the money, but they were not okay uh, with the term. Um, I can understand that, but having just today fired uh head coach that succeeded Barry Trotz, Todd Reardon, do they ever regret not letting or not bringing back Barry Trotz because he is getting the absolute best out of that New York Islanders team and Washington got trounced. Is that back-to-back first round losses for um, Washington? Yep. Mm-hmm. With almost the same team? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a whoops. Yeah, Barry Trotz is no slouch. Um, and apparently he's gonna, a really good guy, too. Like, everybody yeah. loves him. I think that was one of the reasons why he was in Nashville, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why he's, he stayed there just for so long is because how do you get rid of a guy that everybody likes? He uh, he was there for four years in Washington before this hypothetical contract extension after he won the Cup. And so they were saying, what are the chances a coach last nine years? And like, yeah, I think that's perfectly fair in today's coaching climate. Like, how does a coach last nine years, for, especially for big money? And people are seeing like after Babcock broke the coaching market and, and got signed for big money. Now people are, are on the hook for these massive contracts, but they're still firing coaches just as quickly. So Babcock's making what? Like someone posted like 18 grand a day right now to sit on the couch. Like he's, he's not just sitting on the couch, of course. I think he's helping with a college program down in Vermont. I can't yeah. remember what school. Um and like, yeah, great, but Toronto's still paying him to do nothing. So I understand that's, Washington's. That's why our uh, our internet bills went up for four dollars a month. God, so annoying. Um, but still, I you would have a, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone from a casual Capitals fan all the way up to owner Ted Leonsis who would care right now about how much they'd have to pay Barry Trotz for how long. They'd probably kill to have him back as coach. Yeah, uh, yeah, more than a little at this point. Yeah, so I looked up the longest tenured co- current coaches. <laughs> oh, this I know, I know this, we, and this yeah, is we know this. Yeah. So John Cooper is number one. He's been on since 2013. Uh, Paul Maurice 2014, and then none other than Jeff Blashill, June Jeff! 9th, 2015, third longest tenured coach in the NHL. It's been five years. <laughs> It's been five years. 
Oh boy. Oh my god. Not great. Not great. Worst first like in in Jeff's defense, and I don't say that often. Worst time ever. Worst time to inherit any team in the NHL June 9th, twenty fifteen, Detroit Red Wings, right? Absolutely. It's got yep. it. Yep. <laughs> that guy's not even close they, to having a good team again. <laughs> they, they gave him a ladle and threw him on a sinking ship. Whether or not you're a Jeff Blashill detractor or a Jeff Blashill, you know, uh, Stan, whatever you want to call it, uh, there's no way that he's going to be the coach by the time this team is good again because it will have been almost a decade in my mind before this team competes again. Anyways, Todd Reardon out in Washington. Candidates. A lot of people immediately said Gerard Gallant, and I think that's a great choice. I um, think he would do well there. I think much like uh, Barry Trotz did in Washington before him and then now in the island, he's a guy who can get the most out of his team a lot of the time, or, or so he would think. Uh, more of a guy who wants to be a winner, uh, does well with a team with the tools rather than having to build players up. Um, but Craig Custance tweeted that Mike Babcock might be looked at here. Is it too soon for Mike Babcock's return? Yes. It's always going to be too soon for Mike Babcock's return because I don't care what you think of him as a coach. After the crap he pulled and the reports that came out, in today's day and age, you can't. You can't. How would your players feel about that if the guy for having a reputation is treating his players worse than anybody else since the 70s? is coming in i I, especially in a team like washington where it's such like a a personality driven team with ovechkin and wilson etc man you bring in babcock he either has to prove he is a very changed man or he will lose that room so quick but beyond the logistics of how he would be as a coach in washington i don't care he should never get another job this NHL carousel of recycling the same 35 coaches over and over and over and over is a joke. There are so many quality candidates out there that are not in the NHL. Why do we keep going back to the same well over and over and over? And you could even argue that Babcock isn't even a good coach. He's had the reputation because he's won, but like he hasn't won shit when he hasn't had an all-star team in front of him. I'll still argue he should have his minimum number of cups with Detroit should have been three, oh six, oh eight, and oh nine. And he got one out of it. Um man, it, he's got the gold medals with Team Canada. Cool. I'm pretty sure Mika could have coached those teams to a gold medal. When the chips were down in Toronto, they never got past the first round. I'm I'm sorry. I don't a career of mediocrity and he gets another look despite being one of the sh- uh, this is all reports talking one of the shittiest human beings in hockey. I'm sorry. No. If he yeah, 100% I, I, will. I know he will. He's going to get another job and it's probably going to be soon, but if you're a team like if there's like a dumpster fire team like Buffalo hypothetically where they just can't figure it out and they're like that's it we need to bring in the iron fist. Okay, I'll still disagree with it, but I'll at least see the logic there. If you ever want to make Jack Eichel leave Buffalo quicker, I think that would be it. Yeah. 
Again, I disagree if that happens, but I'll see the logic there. With a team as good as Washington still in their window, it's it's absolutely stupid. They they need a just legitimate good coach to keep this team on the right path. They don't need whatever the hell you want to classify Mike Babcock as coming in. Well, you also have to look who's making this decision, right? Because at some point, someone made the executive decision to say, look, Barry Trotz has done well. He brought us our cup. Um, obviously, this guy deserves all the money and the praise in the world, but we're not willing to do it for the term. And the thing that makes this decision easier is we have Todd Reardon in the ranks waiting, and we are 100% confident in his uh, abilities as next head coach. So someone looked at Todd Reardon, assessed him. It was essentially a job interview and said, yep, he's our next guy. Obviously, that turned out to be a failure. And so is that person making this call too? Because I would not be surprised if the same person who made that call would also make the Mike Babcock call. I don't know if that's Ted Leone's thing. I don't know who made, who made that call. I don't know if that was the general manager in Washington. I don't know, but it's not. It's not out of this this world. Like the carousel exists for reasons because it's the same people making these decisions. Um, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get too crazy with this pick. I think it's just going to be a Gallant or a Babcock type. I, I, I think Gallant's much more likely. Gallant makes a ton of sense because you know what's different but to, uh, with him? He has a very recent track record of success. Yeah. Even outside of all the character issues with Mike Babcock, it's like, like you mentioned, Brad. A lot of mediocrity with Detroit in the face of, you know, times when he should have had more success and a even bigger indictment doing nothing with Toronto. Nothing. I mean, no yeah. one can do anything with Toronto. So, no, I think that that curse is deeper than Mike Pavcock. Game seven, trailing 18 minutes for Austin Matthews. It, that should disqualify him from any future can. Like, you have what? At worst, a top five goal scorer on planet Earth, and you're not, and you're playing Patrick Marlowe, the corpse of Patrick Marlowe, more than him in literally the only game that matters that whole year because it's game seven, do or die. There's, we've seen this crap in Detroit, so it's not new to us, but that, that alone should disqualify him from ever being an NHL head coach again because it, it's just stupid. It, it's proof that. An old dog can't learn new tricks. All right. Let's do um, our prospect profile now because I think it's a good one and I want to give it some time. Um, This one at special request from Evan, who is looking forward to drafting this player multiple times in every mock draft. None other than Anton Lundell out of Finland. Brad, you kick us off. Ah, the age old argument of production versus the eye test. And Anton Lundell, when you watch him play hockey, you'll never hear the word exciting. You'll never hear the word flashy. But as an 18-year-old in Liga, one of the top leagues in the world last year, he put up 28 points in 44 games. That's not far off Barkov, Line A type production in that league. I think... Obviously, Lundell's a late birthday. I can't remember if Barkov and Line were. But he he produces. He's got a great 200-foot game. Good shot. Not an overly amazing skater, but not poor. Great positionally. Good passer. He, he's kind of... It, it sells him short, but I always describe 
like describing Lundell as the jack of all trades, master of none. There's really no part of the game that I would classify him as poor. Obviously, he has his strengths, which to me would be his vision, IQ, and shot, but he's not bad at anything I didn't mention. So he's one of those guys that you can project pretty safely into an NHL lineup, probably as a middle six center. Um, where that ceiling is, I don't know. I don't think it's crazy high, but I think he could play. Like if everything goes, I always hate these hyperbole comparisons, but if everything goes exactly right for Anton Lundell, you see a lot of Patrice Bergeron in him. Not saying he will be Patrice Bergeron, but if you get 90% of Patrice Bergeron out of that, that's a home run pick in the 10 to 15 range. So I don't know. Lundell intrigues me. I like him a lot. I like smart players like him. I wish he'd flash a bit more skill than he does, but I mean, he's producing in one of the top men's leagues in the world already. And one of the crazy things um, for HIFK's upcoming season, he's been named an assistant captain of that team. Yeah, this is a guy who I think a lot of people are pushing really hard to not discount. They they talk about a ceiling not being as low as people might want to make it. Um, I don't think he's like, you know, this guy at best is a third line center. I don't think he'll turn it to Patrice Bergeron, but that's not the comparison Brad is making. He's he's doing that thing we do on this podcast where we say, you know, if everything goes right, this guy reaches his maximum potential. That might be what you, you get. And that I, to me, that just signals that this is a guy who's responsible in almost every facet of his game. Um, a lot's been made of his skating. I don't think it's that bad. Um, a lot has been made of his, you know, offensive instinct in terms of he doesn't quite always turn it on, but I've seen a lot of skill from him. Um, it's not what he, it's not like the, the high point of his game. I think Jack of all trades, master of none was a perfect assessment from Brad. Um, Middle, like, let's say Detroit drafted him. I don't think you're looking at a guy who's likely to be better than Larkin, but he'd be hell, like one hell of a second line center if he did pan out. And that is a pretty great pick to make in the range where Anton Lundell is going to go, which I think is anywhere from like uh, eight to 15. I think it's a safe range for him. I think he slots in nicely there. I think that makes sense as to, um, why he's he, like, like, I, I think that makes sense compared to like his skill and his ability and what he's done. He might not jump out at you, but you look at what he's accomplished at a young age in a pro men's league in Finland, like Brad mentioned, and it's it's impressive. You can't look past it. He might not, you know, knock your socks off every single night, but at the same time, I don't know. He's displayed enough for me to to feel really confident if I'm one of those teams that doesn't have the luxury of picking, you know, all the way up to like Rossi or Holtz or, or the end of that tier. Lundello is a great player to pick in there. And if he's playing center, that does add value to it. I know a lot of people don't necessarily think so, but I, I think this is a guy who who does project as a center. Yeah, you guys essentially covered it all. I think he's like one of the safest picks in the top 15. Uh, obviously, Alexi Lafreniere in the top four are ultra safe picks, but I think his game transitions well enough to play in the bottom six, but he also has a little bit of top six potential as well. So... Very high floor, ceiling, kind of a bit of a question mark. But if you're a team and everything every uh, in the draft and all the players before have been picked, he could be a very good piece to add uh, some depth in your prospect pool. I also noticed something in his game um, 
this was pretty early on and I just didn't really focus too much on it. But then I saw that Scott Wheeler mentioned it in his, um, his write-ups and he, he noticed he had a little bit of a funny skating stance and it's one that could be improved on if he spent some time with a skating coach or, um, you know, a lot of teams will focus on that kind of thing. And, and you know, for a fact that teams who are looking to pick this guy in that range are saying, yeah, Anton Lundell might be a, a top five or six worthy pick that we're going to get at 11 or 13. Um, we just have to get a skating up to scuff. So it's almost good news when you have a guy who has like average to like, I don't know, passable skating, but then you find out that they have a funny stance. It's essentially unlock speed. You get them to convert their, their skating, their strides into more power and less into, you know, wacky sideways movement. Then, then you can make more of that player. So that's what people are talking about when they talk about improving skating. It's not, it's easier said than done. Not everyone can do it. A lot of it's muscle memory and some people just don't have the physical ability to do it. Um, but that's potentially something that they might be able to get more out of him from. And, and like I mentioned before, I don't think his, his offensive ability is so invisible where it's not worth mentioning. He's responsible in his own zone. I don't think his ceiling is as high as the, the top six or seven. Um, but I don't think it's terribly far off. The right system, I can see this guy being a fantastic pick. Anyways, yep. um, where do you think he goes? I think he's going to go in the 10 to 12 range personally because um, there's such a diverse cluster of players in that range. You can you know, look at your small, high-skill forwards. You've got Lundell, the more reliable two-way center you've got maybe your jake sanderson your askarov in that range so it's just going to be whatever flavor the team's looking for so and obviously a two-way center appeals to a lot of teams so basically from buffalo on i could see every team in that range taking a long look at lundell he was mocked pick 13 to carolina so we're we have him below the askarov line which is pick nine to minnesota okay I don't know. I think I think in reality he's probably going to go before Quinn or Jarvis. I likely just because teams value him a little more, and it's not like a crazy center heavy draft either. So, yeah, no. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because like Sanders Askarov to Minnesota and Sanderson to Winnipeg at nine and ten respectively makes a lot of sense, right? But those are both guys who teams could reach heavy for. I can't in my in in my like heart of hearts say that any team above them should be taking those guys, but this is the NHL draft. It's completely unpredictable, and if a team is hot to trot on their goalie of the future, or they think Jake Sanderson is an even better prospect than Jamie Drysdale, they'll go in the top five or six. Absolutely, they will, and we'll all be shocked. And some team will get a steal, and in five years, we'll say that's a fantastic pick, or wow, that was idiotic from the start. That's just the way it goes. Red Wings fans, well, <laughs> that's what we're doing now with Moritz Cider. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just, that's the kind of thing that's going to affect Lundell a lot. Like, there's just too much traffic ahead of him. Otherwise, you would see him move up. Strong, it's a strong draft. I know we've repeated that over and over ad nauseum. It is a really, really strong draft. And he is a victim of that, if you want to call it that. Is that which pick? Uh, of Carolina's is Toronto's. It's not pick 13, is it? Yep. It's pick 13? Yep. There's a chance Sanderson's available at 13, and who would be better for Toronto than Jake Sanderson right now? Oh, God. I don't think Sanderson gets that far. I don't, I don't think so, but it's not crazy. 
oh, it's not crazy at all, but would not put money on the table for that to happen. Anyhow, um, all right. Anything else before we jump into overtime here? I got nothing. All right. Overtime. This is oh, it's Sunday. All right. We're going to start off with Patreon. All of our patrons uh, get their comments read out on air as our way of saying thank you uh, for supporting the show. Also, patrons, you'll notice on Twitter, we posted something. We are doing a giveaway sponsored by Upper Deck. Uh, we're giving away two hockey cards, as Brad um, called them, the captain and the future captain. So that's a Steve Eiserman and a uh, Dylan Larkin um, set of cards. So on Twitter, we posted a picture of them as well. Uh, patrons, you're entered into the contest. Check out the post to figure out how to get additional entries. Um, excited to give those away and more upper deck sponsored giveaways to come. All right, we're going to start with LeVar Ball Stan Club, who says, Todd Reardon got fired. I'm excited. Over these playoffs, going to share some wisdom of the great LeVar Ball. Um, I don't know his voice, so I'm sorry. Uh, back in my heyday, I would kill Michael Jordan one-on-one. So what is the final score of Michael versus LeVar? I think LeVar would put up two points and Michael uh, – or I think LeVar would put up uh, but two points versus Michael over under. I'm also really high, so accept my weirdness. <laughs> I was wondering where that sentence was going. Um, I, I think uh, Michael Jordan wins in seven. I don't think LeVar gets a shot off. Uh, Garrett TV says he's gone. Mike Milbury is freaking gone. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, we didn't oh wait, we forgot that. about Mike Milbury. Oh, well, well, as it should be. Yeah, for real. Uh, I'm sure you already covered this, but it's worth bringing up again. Maybe two or three more times. Even let's hope the change is permanent. Katie Strang's piece on Friday was so spot on. She deserves a lot of credit for Milbury's departure. She nailed it in a way that goes well beyond hockey. Everyone should have a read. I hope the athletic makes the article free for everyone to view, but make no mistake that it never pays to be a closet misogynist and overall POS person. Honestly, Ferk him. Good riddance. Hashtag Sally Let's go Red Wings. Look, Mike Milbury has never said anything of use or benefit to a hockey broadcast. And my first thought besides just like, shut the hell up, you asshole, after the comment made on air, uh, I don't know how many days it was now, was think of how many good sports broadcasters there are waiting in the wings watching this total turd on air every time for NBC. I'm happy NBC made the right call and got rid of him. He's just not, he's not even good at his job. He's yeah. just pl- flat out not outside of being like saying shitty things like what he said, like being a general asshole. Like y- you don't like the comment or for anyone who wants to defend the comment he made about women being distractions and minimizing it. First of all, no, but whatever. Look at the comments he called, uh, like when he called PK Subin a clown for like dancing and having fun in warm ups. Like the guy's not completely averse to just saying completely and totally boneheaded things aside from the fact that he doesn't ever offer good analysis he's so obviously just trying to do the inflammatory hockey guy thing but like you want to be inflammatory and give controversial opinions look at brian burke i'm saying this and now i'm gonna <laughs> that's not gonna age well but brian burke says things where i'm like well i disagree with you fundamentally about your hockey take but you don't be a complete dickhead about it we're all better at not having to hear mike milbury on air that's that's my piece. Brian Burke is one of the biggest gay rights activists in the entire NHL. So he, we literally only ever di- disagree with Brian Burke on hockey opinions. Mike Milbury, I disagree on just about every hockey opinion he has because he should be fired because he's terrible at his job. Misogyny at his side aside, we have been complaining about this guy for a decade. 
decade. You yeah. could replace him with a literal badger and it would be better than listening to Mike Milbury. <laughs> he, we're watching a five overtime game two weeks ago. One of the greatest hockey experiences anybody can watch, especially when, you know, the fifth overtime's at like 9 p.m. And he's complaining about how long it's going and that they need to go to three on three or a shootout. Like if he clearly hates his job, so I don't even know why he's holding on to it if he hates a five overtime game. And yeah, the my I because I commented about the situation and people were trying to minimize the comment in my replies. They're like, it wasn't even that bad of a statement. And it doesn't matter. It was a pretty tame statement compared to other crap he said in the past, which is a statement in and of itself. <laughs> but um two things. A misogyny is misogyny. It doesn't matter how severe or not severe the comment is, it's still wrong. And two, read the goddamn room. Holy shit, the world is melting down right now. Now is not the time to marginalize anybody. There's never a time you should do that, even less so now. Like, common goddamn sense. Jesus. The world is on fire with protests and arguments and splitting at the seams. Let's not add to it. Uh, I'm laughing right now because I'm just picturing an actual badger in the background of a broadcast. Like, what a goal! And all you hear in the background is... (laughs) I don't know what noise a badger makes. No, like... There's never, it's never the comment to make and like outside of the terrible thing it is to do to, to say that kind of thing as a human being, just business wise, why make that comment when you want to bring more women into the sport, when you want to make more women hockey fans because they make up half of the planet? Why are we? Do you think Mike Milbury wants more women in hockey? No, he's very happy that half the population doesn't come and take his job. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's going to happen soon. I'll tell oh, you it, that, Mike. It's got to happen real soon. And I hope, I hope they replace him with a woman. Give Kendall Coyne or anyone else. I don't care. Re- replace him with a her. I will. Mm, gr- top 10 hockey moment of the decade if it happens. There's a reason we call our like anger segment the Mike Milbury minute. It's mocking Mike. It's not celebrating him. Yeah. Uh, Michael Barry says, hope all is well. What does Lucas Raymond need to do in the SHL in order to be moved into the top three of the draft? Similar things can be asked about Holtz and Tim since European leagues are starting. Ooh. Um, Blazing hot start. Uh, His team is still stacked, so I'm not betting on him getting top six minutes. But if he gets more than nine minutes a game because his underlying numbers were fantastic, so he was creating offense, just not given a lot of time to do it. So if he sees 15 minutes a game in power play time, you'll you'll start to see the conversations, but there won't be enough time because it's what a week or two into the SHL season when the NHL draft starts. So I don't think it'll make a big difference either way, unless he literally has like a seven goal game. Um, all I see is gains it says I felt the need to contribute. So here I am. Hey, new patron. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, call me all I see is dubs. Thanks for doing this and keeping me sane as uh, sane as a Red Wings fan can be in 2020. Any of you have hopes for Danny DeKaiser coming back and being a positive impact player for us next year? Anyways, stay salty. Let's go Red Wings. Oh, in a Pavel Datsuk voice. Uh, let's go Red Wings. I trust my eyes to Dr. Romani and you should too. 
Uh, um, yeah, if Danny DeKaiser is healthy, he's a positive impact player for Detroit. Relative That's, to the rest of the Red Wings. Uh, yeah, to Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, Not exactly. Team. He's probably a, a healthy Danny DeKaiser is probably the second best defenseman on this team right now. Oh, boy. Funny, like in when he came to the team in 2013, we would have thought, oh, that means his career went great. And now it means. Now it means everyone else's career has gone south. This is definitely a case of the uh, the monkey's paw. I just, yeah. I just <laughs> let us sign him. We just need him to be a top two defenseman on this team. I hate how accurate that is. That is absolutely. <laughs> oh no, we probably said something like that too. Wow. Oh my god! If only he could be a top two defenseman. We got our wish. <sighs> Uh, Vincent Saladino says, so you guys have mentioned taking Louis Erickson's contract from the Nux and potentially getting Thatcher Demko in return. Personally, I feel as Demko, uh, Demko is too high of a price and maybe DiPietro is a more likely get. Anyways, the reason I bring this up is what do you think would be a fair trade in this scenario? What would we have to give the Canucks to make this trade? I was thinking a low salary player like Perlini for Erickson, but if goalies are involved in the trade, do you think Philip Larson would be someone we could move? Just spitballing here. I'd like to hear what you guys think. Keep up the great work, boys. I always look forward to whenever a new episode comes out. Adios. Thank you, Vincent. Um, I tend to agree that Demko is a steep price, and it's not going to be that easy of a, of a get. Demko seems to be one of the more popular names that comes up when we talk about like pie in the sky, but realistic trades. And there's a reason Vancouver fans always respond with no. Um, the Red Wings will either have to sweeten the, the pot for Vancouver by giving them something for their pipeline. Would they want Philip Larson? I wouldn't be averse to moving him. Uh, I would be. I mean, the reason you're getting that or you're angling for Thatcher Demko is because the Red Wings goaltending pipeline is not good right now. And Demko is no guarantee. You need Larson in there because he's your top goaltending prospect. And you don't have a lot of good goaltending prospects. You wouldn't uh, do Larson and uh, whatever warm body for Erickson and Demko? No, I would do, because I would we're doing, remember, we're doing Vancouver a favor taking Louis Erickson off it. If if we're – don't get me wrong. Demko, better than Larson. But how big of a drop-off is it from Demko to Larson considering Larson's a lot younger, right? Uh, huge because Larson's not an NHL goalie and that's – We no, don't that's, know that's Demko fr- is for sure either yet. That, what does that he put thing. up? What's that? What does he put up in his career so far? Uh, let me have a peek here. Thatcher Demko, 24 years old. And didn't have cap- a fantastic season last year, admittedly. Uh, put up a 9.05 in 27 games this year. Those are Marc Andre Fleury numbers. Sign them. There you go. Uh, 9.13 last year in nine games. So definitely by no means a write off, but also definitely not a guarantee. And I am just trying to find Vancouver's salary cap space here because I want to know how much money they have for Jakob Markstrom because that's the ultimate wild card right now for them. So they literally have thirty thousand dollars in cap space right now. Yeah, but Tyler Toffoli is coming off. Uh, Chris Tanev coming off. That's about nine million right there. And then oh, here uh, we go. Troy Stetcher is another little bit coming off. So Mark they Sturman have Domingue are coming out, but they have to resign these guys, right? So they have yeah, about sixteen million in space with only sixteen contracts signed next year. 
So they're going to have to sign a lot of guys and average about $2 million per. And you got to think if they want to bring Markstrom and Toffoli back, that'll be over $10 million. So, yeah, they're they're screwed. All right. Uh, Evan Beckner says, so I finally began watching F1 Drive to Survive and just wow. I guess I'm an F1 fan now. Can't recommend it enough, guys. Seriously, it's a great show. Uh, if Road to the Winter Classic was half as good as this show, the NHL could get a ton of new fans. Someone tell Gary to call up Netflix. Um, I was interested to see how much money the top 20 drivers in the world made and was actually surprised. Did you know that in 2019, Justin Abdelkader was paid more than Kimi Raikkonen? Also, in the same year, he was paid more than both drivers from McLaren combined. If you combine Haas, AlphaTauri, and Williams, they would be about a million dollars less than Abdelkader's contract. Obviously, the big drivers are comp- compensated greatly hamilton and vettel both made over 40 million in 2019 but the fact that most of the top 20 drivers in the world make less than the 600 ish best hockey player in the world blows my mind so formula one's a little funny yeah the best drivers make the most they make an insane amount from endorsements this is a rich people's rich sport like they race in monaco every year it's not like they make, they're very well off. It's also one of those sports where because it's a rich people sport, you have billionaires paying for their kids to get seats. And so they're not going to get paid a lot. Um, and also when teams are bad, they don't sign good drivers. So they sign like cheap drivers a lot of the time. So, but yeah, it, it's super interesting. Lewis Hamilton is going to make like $60 million next year or something crazy like that. Uh, Bert Crew says, Hey, gents, I'm wondering which Red Wings prospect were you the most excited about and certain they'd be a stud, but became a bust. Mine was Yurko. I was young and fooled by YouTube videos. He had the skill, hands, and decent size, and I thought he was going to be a top six for years, but never panned out. Uh, just, did DeKaiser count? I know it's a cheap answer because he wasn't necessarily a prospect, but I was so certain about DeKaiser. I really was. Um... I thought for sure one of Polkin and or Firk would have been the answer to our power play woes. I, I thought for sure. Oops. Uh, third man in says Brad is right, at least about retaping sticks. We're hockey players, not savages. Thank you. Um, Tuck Frump says, hi, which NHL player either best, best fits their city or would best fit in a certain city? Think Martian and Boston or how well Yager would fit in Vegas. Oh, uh, Martian and Boston is the obvious answer. Lundqvist in New York, honestly. Uh, Terry but, Price in Montreal, I think, makes a lot of sense. Mm, no, I don't he's know a why. quiet reserve guy, and they're a loud, angry fan base. It, yeah, I but mean, he beat the good. shit out of someone with his blocker once. So that's that's fair. Uh, King Henrik in New York. Sean Avery in Boston would have been something. Oh my god. That would have been Martian on steroids. Uh, uh, Tyler Sagan in Los Angeles. <laughs> a lot of players. Nikita Kucherov in Los Angeles. Uh, Evgeny player- Kuznetsov in Vegas. Oh, that's who I was thinking. Nah, not, not Kucherov, Kuznetsov. Uh, player comparison question. Is Cider like a better Brad Stewart? Could be. That's not uh, bad. Actually. I would hope a bet- much better version of that considering he was sixth overall. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, all the good things about Brad Stewart, more Cider has. We just hope he has more than that. (laughs) More tools in the belt. Uh, Last question. Is there a danger of overusing Detroit's cap space? If they go out and get bad picks for contracts or get picks for bad contracts, is there a chance um, 
players uh, pushed Detroit up to third or fourth worst, less than our already uh, sad odd picks at first overall. You have no idea how little I care about where we finish next season because of how stupid this draft lottery is. I know I'll change my mind on that come the season and logic will take over. But for now, I just don't care. And it depends on the contracts you take um, and what you're giving up, right? Like if we do send some spare parts over, like someone mentioned Perlini earlier, most of these players will be marginal upgrades. I can't see Detroit going out and taking a run at like a Tyler, to, uh, not Tyler fully Tyler Johnson out of Tampa Bay to clear up cap space. I, I think they are going to take the, the Louis Erickson's of the world guys who will be usable fourth, maybe third liners, which means they'll play on Detroit's second line. And it will be an upgrade over whoever they're likely replacing, but it's not going to move the needle enough to pull Detroit from like dead last to like, a fringe playoff spot. Um, also, Brad, I tuned out while you're saying that. So if you said this, I'm sorry. Those the moves are going to be rare. There's not going to be a lot of them available. So just by virtue of that, uh, Alex Ott says, "What do you think statistically are the ceilings for the players that Detroit would really realistically pick fourth this year? Let's say the list includes Stutzla, Perfetti, Raymond Rossi, and Drysdale. Thanks, boys, and stay safe." I could legitimately see a top 10 player in their league at their position. Like yeah. I could see a world where Perfetti or Stutzla are top 10 wingers in the world. Same with Raymond. Uh, I could, I don't know if Rossi's upside's quite that high because he's a center and that'd be a little harder, but I could see it. Drysdale. I'm not as high on, but I could see it. Um, yeah, it's 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 a strong draft, and there is a lot of potential there. Now, am I betting on any of these guys getting that high? No, of course not. But I'd say it's in the realm of possibility. Matt says, hey, guys, I got a question with a catch. The question is, your Steve Eisman in the league offers you a top two pick each year going forward until you decide to give up the deal. How many years do you do it? The catch is you're guaranteed last place each year and you can't bring up your top prospects to the NHL until you give up the deal. Do you damn the franchise and fans for five or six years to get an unprecedented core or just try to get Shane Wright and then go for it? I'd have to look at the draft past Shane Wright to really get an idea because there's there's some kids coming coming up. I'm taking that deal for at... I say two years and out. I'm saying at least three because if it starts... like, Does that include this draft? Yeah, three years. Stick around long enough to get right and get out. And then whoever we pick, Perfetti or Raymond. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. It doesn't include this draft. I mean, like, oh. I said two as in going through the right Shane Wright draft. Oh, I, I'll say three then uh, after that be- still because I don't think a top two pick in Detroit next year is going to be a guy that needs to be rushed. That guy could probably use a couple more years and then you mm-hmm. get right and then you get one guy after that. Yeah, that'd be my fun. Give me three top three three top two picks and then we'll bring everybody at once and win multiple cups. Evan, what do you think? Yeah, at least three, I would say. That's what I was thinking. Uh, just your average Tej says, which would you guys rather do golf or boat? Oh, if I'm driving the boat golf, if I'm not driving the boat boat, uh, golf, no matter what the answer is for me. Golf. <laughs> yeah. Evan, <laughs> you hear something about golf. Evan's trying uh, to figure out a way to golf on a boat. 
Uh, Carl Wise says, where did Alan Walsh get the now infamous picture of Marc-Andre Fleury? Did he just get it commissioned uh, for the purpose of tweeting it out? Wrong answers only. Ooh. Um, wrong answers only. Marc-Andre Fleury drew it himself. He actually broke into Peter DeBoer's house to find it. Uh, wrong answers only. He actually stabbed Marc-Andre Fleury through the back <laughs> of the sword. <laughs> Uh, Evan, Evan's the one who painted it. He's the digital artist. It would not look that good. No. <laughs> uh, Adam Calcert says two things. One, Evan, thank you for finally hanging up those picture frames that have been on your floor. <laughs> two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been a running joke in our house, uh, for two years. Uh, two, I hate you, uh, guys. Cause now whenever I see trebuchet memes, I read it as Trebucket. <laughs> Three, what's in the picture frames, golf guy? Uh, they are the Detroit Free Press front page of the last four Stanley Cups. I had to look back. Make sure I wasn't bullshitting. <laughs> uh, Joseph Fornia says, hey there, fellas. Here are my round two predictions. Knights over Canucks in five. Dallas over Colorado in six. Philly and Isles play a perpetual trap like icicle uh, effigies dancing an endless waltz for eternity. The horror, Gritty cries, tightly clutching the ancient jeweled Ragnarok sword of our prophets, braving the, sing- the stinging snowstorm and crawling through the tundra. He ascends the shimmering steps upon the palace of Gattaca, bracing against the whipping winds and searing hall. With each step, he fastens his grip and prepares to stab the Ragnarok sto- sword into the sacred obelisk of time. He approaches the altar, raises the sword above his head, and brings it down in a shatterstorm of ice and light. It's done. No more neutral zone traps. No more. Bolts over Bruins in six. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Matt Whip says, hey, boys, what websites do you guys use to get tape on prospects? Also, what would it take for the Wings to get Flurry's contract? You got to Google. You have to just Google players at this point. Google, like, you know, Shane Wright highlights YouTube. Um, We used to use, what was it called? Prospect Shifts. Um, my Bible for a while. Yeah, that went down. You can find clips floating around YouTube. Sometimes you find like weird blog sites. It sucks because it's not really as readily available, but teams kind of are guarded about this as our, our draft organizations. Um, honestly, I would recommend checking out sites that uh, do prospect analysis and rankings. Uh, they often offer a good amount of like not total clips but they like if you're a paid subscriber they'll they'll provide a lot of video as well so it's it's not an easy time doing it and for the wings to get flurry's contract uh i don't know what's vegas like next year are they in trouble probably they might be able to get it for pretty cheap mark andre flurry makes seven million for two more years vegas will have to give up a good amount in my mind because that's a pretty hefty contract uh so let me find scrolling 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 all right they have 17 contracts on the books for next year so that's a low number and they have six million cap space they are royally screwed but they also don't really need to re-sign anybody super important so they have a lot of cap certainty next year so they will need to fill out a lot of bottom of the lineup roster spots but uh so they're gonna, they're gonna perlini yeah there you go 
Uh, Denny O'Donnell, who's a new patron. Thank you for supporting the show, says, uh, new patron here. I've been a huge fan for a long time and consistently engaged on Twitter, but just now starting to help you guys out. Sorry it took so long, but here I am. Hey, don't apologize. We like seriously, seriously really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for keeping up the great work. I know it wasn't easy with the Red Wings sucking slash no hockey through quarantine. Apologize if this was already asked, but what bad habit did you pick up during quarantine? For me, I'm 27 and hadn't had pop in 12 years. Thanks to the quarantine, I feel like I need a drink of pop at least once every day, specifically Sprite or Mountain Dew. No free ads. I think it came on after drinking beer almost every day at the start. Water wasn't cutting it anymore. What are new bad hab- What are your new bad habits? Ooh, I'm having a drink a night at this point, whether I need one or not. Like whether we're, we're drinking to like have fun or just like having dinner i'm having a drink and not great when you're not moving around a lot i'll tell you that yep uh caffeine for me it was it was caffeine i it's hard enough to build up energy on a normal day but when you're not doing anything like to drag yourself off the couch when your heart rate's down nothing's happening you're full sloth mode yeah not that i'm i'm not a daily caffeine drinker yet but mm, more more than i would like to you get there when the yeah. addictions comes. So what I where I'm at now that, you know, I'm back to work and it's it's not as bad is any day where I have an evening hockey game or gym session, which is only two or three times a week right now. Those days as soon as I'm done work, I have to slam some back or else I'm not making it to eight, nine PM till whatever. Is it I need coffee to do. you're drinking? No, not usually. What is it? Uh I've I found uh, the grocery store I go to carries this like like it's like toasted vanilla coke diet something or other it's fucking delicious it's because the weirdest dude i don't know i don't know man i just grabbed it. i'm like wow that sounds amazing and i grabbed it and i'm like yep i'm hooked on this now <laughs> um evan what's your bad habit um i sit in my computer chair for way too long and then i go to the then i go play golf or go to the range and wonder why <laughs> my body hurts so bad he hasn't he hasn't seen cat since february that's also true. <laughs> oh, beer Juan Kenobi says, I'm just going to say it. Five strips of white or black tape in the middle of the blade. Replace every other game. Shoot high and clap glass. Martin Furk had it right all along. Anyway, my brother came across uh, some peanut butter whiskey at the Big C discount store. It's real tasty. Sticks in the air and yell for one tea, boys. Peanut butter whiskey does sound good. I don't know why, but that sounds really good. I do not want peanut butter ruined for me so i will never try that uh b nags this is, we're going to some reddit questions here b nags says if Zy- if cider and zegris were in this year's draft class where would you rank them in this scenario let's pretend that cider still played in Mannheim and had a great year like he did in grand rapids um cider, cider. would probably be around nine to ten for me zegris one spot ahead of him I that's tough. I think of the world. I, I think Cider would be the 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 Sanderson incumbent this time, and I think Sanderson would be bumped down. I don't know. Let's say Cider had a year like he did in Grand Rapids. I think you would have a lot of people talking about Cider as a top five pick as a stretch, but you'd have people looking for that defensive stability with offensive potential offensive upside. I don't know about Zegras. I wouldn't put him too far behind Holtz. I don't know if I would put him behind Holtz. Right? Like, I still think Zegras is an elite playmaker. Does Z- mm, I think Zegras slots 
behind Raymond for sure. I think he slots behind Rossi. Is Egress worse than Perfetti as a prospect? I I think I'm higher on Perfetti than I was Egress, but it's not by a lot. I sometimes worry that coming around on Perfetti is just because we know it's a likely outcome. And so it's a little bit of confirmation bias. I am really trying to take that out of my equation. Um, so what I've been doing is watching him and then watching another forward directly in the same bubble as him in the draft rankings right after. Like I'm trying to bring myself down. Like, so if I watch a, a, profet- a clip, a game or whatever, and I go, wow, that was really good. I'll immediately go and watch Raymond or Rossi or whoever just to, for context. Um, Sventi04 asked about goaltending hypotheticals with salary dumps, which we talked about, but we appreciated the question. Uh, Russell18 says, I remember when you did the 2019 draft, you did a great segment where you discussed if you could add a trade to each player to improve their game. What trait would you add to the player's projected top four to make that pick an absolute slam dunk? That's a fantastic question. We'll do it quickly now, but I think we'll revisit that one as well. Okay, Lafreniere, I'm rebuilding him a new ankle, so his north-south speed's a little better. Quinton Byfield, I'm upping his creativity. Tim Stutzla, I am making him 20 pounds heavier. I was going to say better shooter. Yeah, that too. Uh, Lucas Raymond, north-south skating. Uh, Marco Ross. speed. Give Perfetti speed and he's a top three pick. Yep, absolutely. Um, same with Rossi, truthfully. Uh, give Rossi four inches of height and some weight added to it. Drysdale, I would give... Defensive ability? No, I'm trying to think. How do you... A shot. It's either a shot or defensive ability. How... To be a little more dynamic in the offensive zone, however you want to quantify that. Yeah, give him a shot then because he's an excellent playmaker. He can gain the zone. He can skate. He's just not a premier shooter. I'm going to say lateral skating. I want to see him make better cuts in the offensive zone. I'm going to go with that. Bite me. You know that? Bite me. Um, uh, Hansel O'Mail says, why will the Canucks upset Vegas and win the cup? Because uh, of Quinn Hughes and we'll never hear the end of it. And HZ40 says, two questions. How much would it cost Evan as to sign Evan as a UFA? And who do you think should replace our assistant coaches once changes are made behind the bench to enhance our power play and penalty kill? I don't pretend to know the, the assistant coaching market. There's, there's just too many guys available. And especially people like there's, there's coaches like, you know, young men and women who are coming through the ranks who are in like the NCAA and the OHL and overseas. And people tend to be a little bit more exploratory with assistant coaches than head coaches. We couldn't possibly tell you who that would, I don't have any preference in my mind, whoever the head coach wants, because that would make the head coach more, more, most comfortable. I should say Paul McLean, Bill Peters and Todd McClellan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our Twitter question from Izerbaz is what is the optimum bad contract to Hoover up? Uh, that's our local Scott, uh, to weaponize the cap space. How much cap space is there realistically after the RFAs are signed? There is a world of cap space because the, who are the R, who are the RFAs that the Red Wings have to worry about? There's a ton of them, but other than Bertuzzi, Fabry and Mantha, nobody's significant. What's the upper end of, like, what's that going to cost at absolute most? 15, 16 million? 
it's a nightmare if that's what it costs. Because what if you that's like the if you go like most. eight for Mantha, five for Bertuzzi, three for Fabry. That's like sixteen. Yep. And there's I don't know I I, I don't think that there's there's going to be a, a lot of room. We've talked a lot about what contracts are optimal. I don't think people have to worry about not having enough space for those contracts. I think uh, you more have to worry about the scarcity of GMs willing to make those deals. GMs are going to be horrified. They're not going to want to make those kinds of deals because they already have to make those kinds of deals with Seattle in next year's expansion draft. And they thought they'd be able to get away from that. But now with these uh, these financial restrictions, they're going to have to do the same thing. But Detroit could solve some of these Seattle problems preemptively. <laughs> It's very like mob shakedown, like come pay us to protect you kind of thing. Exactly. Anyways, uh, before Evan gets too far down the rabbit hole on the internet that he's on, um, Evan, Evan's doing the game on Wikipedia right now called Clicks to Jesus, where you uh, click random article on Wikipedia and you see how many clicks it takes you to get to um, Jesus's Wikipedia page. Or more famously and a little bit easier, Clicks to Evan. You're on way more. You're you're hyperlinked on a lot more of those, Evan. I mean, yes. Thank you. Took you too. Anyhow, we're going to wrap up this uh, episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We'll be back with you midweek. Um, patrons, check out the Upper Deck Hockey Giveaway. Stay tuned for more. We'll be doing plenty more Patreon-exclusive uh, hockey or Upper Deck Hockey Card giveaways. We're going to be doing pack openings, things like that, as well as broader competitions for all listeners. So stay tuned. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, the people who have given us uh, those amazing five-star reviews on iTunes. does the world for us. Uh, all of our name-level sponsors on Patreon, the septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, Arjun Shanker, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, LeVar Ball Stand Club, Brad Smith, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al Qasem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, Obir Juan Kenobi, Trevor Pevlovar, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all. Until midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.